Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Radio station in New York over the allegations that he raped a woman 
uh, and that derailed his political career. We will talk with him in his first interview since filing that particular lawsuit. Uh, also, uh, on today's show, we'll also uh, hear from and talk to uh, uh, the sister of Carrie Olson. They want to know how did Carrie die? There's a documentary that they're doing with regards to uh, his death that you want to know about. One of these uh, tragic stories that we've seen uh, far too often. Also on uh, today's show, Facebook, how did property from a white supremacist group? We will tell you about that on the show as well. Plus in um, Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Virginia had its first black female chief get caught in the department. What not? What not? I repeat, follow her directly. The city council has now fired her. We will talk with her right here on the show. Also, in our Tech Talk segment, uh, we'll talk to two brothers uh, who are creating a tech space uh, for those who want to expand the technology field with the first black residency hacker house. And NFL players gospel singers. They're in a choir. They're also competing on America's Got Talent. We'll talk with one of them. It's time to bring the phone to Roland Barton Unfiltered, the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. The video looks phenomenal. See, this is difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be skate. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? As you see, uh, I am here uh, in uh, Clearwater, Florida. Uh, uh, I'm here in Clearwater, Florida, folks, uh, and I'm giving a speech here tomorrow morning. And so that's why I'm not in studio. So uh, I'm, ha- I- I'm I'm hanging out. Up- I'm hanging out on the balcony here, uh, and so that's where I am. So uh, again, hopefully y'all saw uh, the ocean uh, and the beach here. So certainly glad to be with you right now. Uh, Roland Martin unfiltered uh, on the Black Star Network. Folks, folks, the saga uh, regarding uh, the former Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax 
has been going on for several years. He was in position. He was in position to uh, lead, to lead uh, the state of Virginia, being uh, the person who was going to be at the top of the ticket. Yet he was then accused of sexual assault. Then it came two, two cases of sexual assault. And then that was what caused his, his career uh, to be derailed. Although he remained in office, uh, although he, he remained in office, folks, um, he um, uh, could not recover from that. And so uh, he has been fighting these charges. The FBI uh, is investigating uh, whether or not uh, someone uh, investigating the allegations behind him. He's been calling for this for quite some time. Uh, now, what he has done further this, he is now filing $35 million lawsuit against New York Public Radio after they aired an interview calling him a rapist. Uh, this is his first interview to follow that lawsuit. We're now joined by the former lieutenant governor of Virginia, Justin Fairfax. Uh, who, uh, uh, first of all, uh, Justin, glad to have you back on the show. Thank you so much, Roland. It's great to be with you. And uh, I think we're going to be live uh, and video in a little bit, but it's so great to be with you. Okay. Uh, and of course, uh, we always do full disclosure. Uh, Justin is a member of Alpha Phi Alpha, so am I. He's also a member of Beta Nu, a Sigma Pi Phi fraternity, the Boulay. Uh, I'm in the same chapter, and so it's always important uh, to have full disclosure. Uh, so, uh, so, so, so tell us this, um, why are you now filing this lawsuit? What is the most recent thing that happened? Yeah, Roland, well, right now we're at a point where uh, we're finishing the process of fully clearing my name. Uh, as you know, for uh, the past three and a half years, unfortunately, we have been going through uh, a tremendous smear campaign, and uh, we've had a lot of things that have been said about us that have been untrue, a lot of false statements that have been made, uh, defamatory statements. And, you know, it's unfortunate because it's all been a part of politics. It's all been uh, about things that people wanted to achieve to uh, try to block me from being governor back in uh, 2019 and uh, to do some other fairly nefarious things. And uh, what we said is we're always going to stick to the truth. Uh, we're always going to focus on the people of Virginia. And that's really what has kept us going uh, forward. And so now uh, what you're seeing is this smear campaign really unravel uh, in so many ways. Uh, as you have seen uh, investigations start to happen uh, by the FBI, you're now seeing uh, legal action reports. And uh, so many people rush to judgment uh, on this. And that was something that was uh, really incredibly unfortunate. And we're now seeing the uh, results of that. Uh, and I think we need to now take a step back and people can now see uh, the danger of rushing to judgment, the danger uh, of assuming, uh, the danger of allowing people to uh, you know, make these claims with no evidence and demand immediate punishment results. And now the truth has come out uh, that these things were false from the beginning and they were politically motivated. Uh, I think Virginians and Americans really want that reckoning with the truth, and, and that's what we're focused on. Um, the, the, now, again, the lawsuit specifically is naming New York Public Radio, what happened there? Was there an interview that was done with one of your accusers? Uh, yes, a, a little over a year ago, uh, there was an interview on New York Public Radio, and again, there were uh, some tremendously defamatory statements that were made, provably false, 
uh, statements. And also, uh, there had been some previous court rulings uh, by the Fourth Circuit and by the Eastern District of Virginia, uh, where they uh, clearly said that uh, if these things, which were known at the time, uh, were not put forward, these exonerating uh, pieces of evidence uh, were not put forward at the same time that these uh, false allegations were raised again, then you would have actual malice, which is what uh, the standard is for public figures, and 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 then you can proceed with the def uh, defamation action. So, uh, you know, these uh, this broadcast went on, uh, so totally eviscerated the Fourth Circuit's uh, decision and uh, guidance, and continued to uh, carry out the defamatory uh, smear campaign. And so, we want to really make sure that we're uh, not only holding people accountable, uh, maybe not here, but I don't want this to be done to anyone else. Uh, no one in America uh, subject to this kind of a smear campaign to not uh, be given due process to clear uh, their name. Uh, for three and a half years, this has gone on, and it's been three and a half years too long, and I want to make sure that this does not happen to anyone else. Um, now, again, there were two allegations, one with regards to um, uh, something happening at the Democratic National Convention in Boston. Uh, that was in 2004, and then the second allegation alleged uh, that you raped a woman at New York at Duke University. Um, in, uh, now, the lawyers supporting these women uh, have criticized the uh, reports of an FBI investigation, stories that have been done in the Intercept, have been done in the Washington Post, uh, saying that they have talked to a number of people, uh, they're talking to others. Uh, also, the mayor of Richmond, Virginia, has come out. Uh, on, on record, a statement that he had not been talked to. His name, Lamar Stoney, had been mentioned uh, as a part of this. You uh, have been highly critical of him, uh, former Governor Terry McCullough, uh, and also, most recently, the former Governor of Virginia, Douglas Wilder, uh, did an interview where he castigated uh, those who he said were involved uh, in uh, targeting you and trying to keep you uh, from becoming Governor of Virginia. And so, what do you say? To folks out there who say your name has not been approved, uh, it's not been defended, that there's still allegations right now that still hover over your head. Well, Roland, what I would say is that uh, any allegation that, that someone would make and not want to have investigated for three and a half years uh, tells you a lot about whether it's true or not. Uh, and so the fact that, you know, I've wanted this investigated for day one and uh, those making the allegations, their attorneys, their uh, PR firms, uh, political actors uh, have avoided investigation for three and a half years. Uh, really uh, let you know that these are false, and it was all about a political smear campaign. Um, you know, I'm so grateful to and proud of uh, Governor Douglas Wilder, as you mentioned, a political hero of mine, uh, first African-American ever elected governor in the history of the United States of America. Uh, he, Congressman Bobby Scott, uh, an incredible leader, and Senator Mark Warner, uh, they, from day one, uh, said that uh, these were accusations that needed to be investigated, there needed to be due process, and we needed to get to the truth. And now, three and a half years later, as we're getting to the truth, which is that these were fabricated uh, allegations to begin with, they were politically motivated, and the FBI has been given evidence uh, of that fabrication uh, of the claims and also evidence of a lengthy smear campaign. Uh, it vindicates what Governor Wilder, uh, Congressman Bobby Scott, and Senator Mark Warner said from day one. And it also vindicates what we have said from day one, uh, which is that these things were false. And so uh, we also have heard recently, uh, you mentioned uh, Duke University, Jim Coleman, 
who is an extraordinary professor at Duke Law School. He debunked uh, Duke Lacrosse 1.0. Uh, he just weighed in uh, in a great piece by the Raleigh News and Observer, written by Kate Murphy and Steve Weissman, uh, where Jim Coleman uh, said that uh, Duke University did exactly what they did in the Duke Lacrosse case once again in our matter. Uh, they rushed to judgment. Uh, and uh, and so and that was absolutely wrong. It should never have been done. As you mentioned, uh, Corey Maggette, former Duke basketball player, he also was falsely accused uh, by the same accuser. And again, uh, this should not happen to anyone uh, in America. And part of what we're fighting for is to ensure that no one else has to go through this, that their families don't have to experience this, their uh, communities. And, uh, you know, I'm proud that through, you know, faith and uh, uh, hope in our family and, and so many other people who have rallied around us, not only did we uh, you know, deal with this, but for four years, uh, we stayed in and we fought for the people of Virginia. Uh, because I was there as lieutenant governor, uh, we got health care for 700,000 people. I broke the tie votes as lieutenant governor. Uh, and so you stay and you fight for the people. Uh, and uh, and so this is all, again, you're seeing a smear campaign completely unravel. Uh, and for anyone, you know, who would say, well, this is not resolved and the allegations are still out there, um, you should ask the people who have made them. Uh, and also you would ask, uh, for instance, the lawyers who continue to, uh, you know, propagate these and, and say things in the media, would they want someone to accuse them and not let them resolve their... Um, allegations to resolve uh, and clean their name in three and a half years? Would they uh, want themselves to be treated in that way? Uh, would those who have said these things in the past want people to rush to judgment uh, with no evidence to say these things about them with no due process? Of course they wouldn't. And so we've had to stand uh, up, uh, you know, with dignity, uh, with the pride that we have and knowing that we are absolutely uh, innocent, absolutely telling the truth. Um, but also that, again, we don't want this to be done to anyone else. And in politics, as you know, Roland, I've been on your show now for many, many years, ever since I got in politics uh, here in Virginia uh, over a decade ago. Uh, you know, I've faced all kind of attacks, uh, you know, from within the party, from figures within the party. Uh, but what, what I've always done is what Doug Wilder taught me to do was to go to the people, trust the people, uh, you know, really fight for what you believe in uh, and never uh, give up. And so that's really what we're doing. And so now the FBI again has been given evidence of fabrication of these claims, evidence of a smear campaign. As you talked about, I met with the FBI for uh, over three hours uh, with no attorney present because I had nothing to hide. And so for people saying that they've not met with the FBI or they have not been contacted, they could go voluntarily and do it. Uh, I think you have a lot of people now who, after three and a half years of smearing me, need to clear their name. Uh, I think they need to clear their name. Uh, and I don't know that they'll be able to do it uh, because they won't take the steps that we have done. Uh, and so uh, with that News Observer piece, again, uh, they talked about the fact that, uh, you know, we have done everything that we could possibly do. The Washington Post editorial board has now weighed in twice. Uh, and they said that uh, they can't think of another prominent man who has faced these kinds of accusations, who has done more, who has gone to greater lengths to clear their name. Uh, and I shouldn't even have to do it, frankly. Uh, we should live in a, a system where the presumption of innocence is honored. Uh, and uh, but, but I have done this to also show uh, not just by innocence, but to show a new way forward, to show that we could be better uh, as a country. Uh, and so this is all being resolved. I think Duke University, where I served on the Board of Trustees, I've served on the Sanford School Board of Visitors, and, you know, I started rolling, as you know, we've talked about this a lot. I was eight years old, dreamed about going to Duke from inner city Washington, D.C., got a scholarship. A lot of folks believed in me, ended up on the Board of Trustees uh, later on the Sanford School Board. And it only took a press release 
in 43 minutes and a couple false accusations for them to eviscerate 23 years of that relationship. But I, I, the Duke I know and love is going to do the right thing. Uh, they're going to do it sooner rather than later. Uh, and I think all those who rush to judgment, uh, as Jim Coleman said, this was Duke lacrosse 2.0, essentially. Uh, I don't want there to be a Duke lacrosse 3.0. I don't want this to happen to anyone else. Uh, and I don't want this to be done to anyone else. So uh, we're standing with pride, uh, with love. And, and I'm really, frankly, very inspired. Uh, I've lived a life of hope, and that's how you get to uh, where I started to where we are now. And uh, and so, Roland, I thank you for the opportunity for, for staying with uh, the story to see it all unravel. Uh, you from day one uh, talked about this. You were asking, why is there not an investigation in the very earliest days? And now, three and a half years later, you're asking the same question because these allegations were fabricated, because they were false. Uh, you know, they're looking for evidence of something that never happened. Uh, and so we are uh, clearing our name, but more importantly, taking us to higher ground as a commonwealth and, and as a country. Um, you took about three and a half years to rush the rush to judgment. Uh, you've been critical of the former governor, Jerry McCullough, uh, saying that literally, was it three minutes after uh, the allegation came out, uh, right. there were tweets calling for you to resign? Uh, and there have been others as well. We've now seen people, uh, talk to people some Democrats uh, who called for Al Franken to resign. They brought that back as well. They said that was a rush to judgment. Uh, and so, um, so, so talk about that, because, because right. when we talk about this smear campaign, uh, you lay out this theory as to this, this, what, this, what this smear campaign has been. What has it been? What, what, you mean, you're accusing a mayor of a city and a former governor uh, of being involved in trying to keep you out of the governor's mansion if they were successful in doing so, in that you didn't, you failed to win a Democratic uh, nomination for governor when you, when you came up. Right. Well, you know, Roland, it's pretty well documented, and there's so much evidence uh, to support this. And again, as you mentioned, uh, Governor McAuliffe, three minutes after press release, called for my immediate resignation. Uh, he had no facts. He had no evidence. Um, to my knowledge, didn't know uh, these accusers or, uh, or the accusations, uh, unless there's something that we don't know. He maybe knew it in advance. I don't know. Uh, but if he didn't know it in advance, then... Uh, do you really want to um, have someone, as Governor Wilder said, in charge of the Commonwealth of Virginia, who in three minutes uh, can attempt to destroy someone's entire career with no information and no evidence, no basis? Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want that for anyone, including him. And so I think that we've got to get to a better and a different place. Uh, and you mentioned uh, the, the mayor of Richmond, who's, uh, you know, very close to the former governor politically uh, for many, many years. Uh, you know, again, there's been uh, well-documented links and ties between him and, and actually, uh, really, both accusers, actually. Uh, there's evidence that's been presented. Uh, and so, uh, you know, what are the odds? I've never been accused in 40 years of jaywalking. Uh, and then, you know, minutes before I might be elevated to the governorship, uh, these out-of-the-blue, totally uncorroborated uh, accusations are then leveled. Uh, and then there, uh, there are connections between the two accusers and uh, the mayor of Richmond, uh, who was then connected to the former governor, who then runs again for that office. Uh, it was pretty obvious from day one, and there's even more uh, that's not even yet known to the public uh, in terms of evidence of uh, the smear campaign. And again, that's why I was very happy to meet with the FBI uh, for three hours with no attorney. Uh, and I would ask anyone who, you know, weighs in on this, uh, particularly if they're making the accusations or, uh, you know, wanting to propagate them, 
Uh, are they willing to go and meet with the FBI for three hours? No attorney. Uh, I bet you won't get too many takers uh, because uh, I was, you know, telling the truth and I was also uh, very uh, happy to get this resolved. Uh, and so we've done everything, as the Washington Post has said. We've called for the DAs. Uh, there's no known investigations. The News and Reporter, uh, News Observer reported uh, just the other day. Uh, we have uh, filed civil lawsuits to get everyone under oath. Uh, no one's filed uh, them against me, uh, and I'd be, you know, happy to be in court uh, to get these things under oath. And, uh, and of course, now the FBI uh, being involved. And, and Duke University, you mentioned, uh, where this, you know, incredibly serious allegation was made uh, with no evidence. And as it turns out, there's proof that it's false uh, and proof that the same accuser has also accused Corey Maggette, former Duke basketball uh, star and NBA star, who was also innocent. Uh, and so how many people uh, does one person get to falsely accuse before we stand back and say, uh, this is wrong and it needs to be rectified? And certainly in the Duke lacrosse case, uh, Duke, you know, when they understood uh, that there was no evidence that these were the wrong uh, things to do to just allow these hoaxes to go on, uh, that these were really in, not only endangering people's uh, health and well-being and safety and lives, but, you know, their futures and our rule of law. Uh, Duke stepped up to the plate. Uh, former President Richard Broadhead, who I uh, know very well and, uh, you know, have gotten to uh, really come to admire, uh, he had moral courage and he stood up and he talked about the danger of prejudgment. He said that the scariest thing about Duke Lacrosse was that there was instant moral certainty uh, when the facts were not yet at all established. And so, you know, Duke, within minutes of a press release, uh, after 23 years, uh, of my relationship with them, starting as a freshman, uh, all the way up to my time on the Board of Trustees at Duke, uh, being elected as the only student on uh, the entire student body that year to the Board of Trustees and the undergraduate students, um, being the graduation speaker in 2000, to then it only take a press release with false ac accusations with no evidence uh, to then uh, make that kind of a rash decision. It shows that the lessons of Duke Lacrosse 1.0 were not learned. Uh, but I've been willing to fight for three and a half years through Duke Lacrosse 2.0 because I do not want there to be a Duke Lacrosse 3.0. And I think that's really, you know, where we are. I mean, you've got to fight for the next generation. Um, and that's what we're here for. And you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, those uh, no criminal investigations uh, in the two locations where, where the allegations take to place. Uh, that, there were black female DAs in both cities. One, there's still one there in Durham. Uh, right. There was a black female DA in Boston. She now the U.S. attorney. Uh, and the question that I have always asked is that if someone wants justice, and those black, those two black female DAs have said, if someone files a complaint with us, we are going to investigate this case. Uh, to your knowledge, has a complaint ever been filed in Boston or in Durham? by your two accusers? To my knowledge, Roland, no complaint has ever been filed. And, and I'll take it one step further. Uh, as you know, we reached out. Uh, if I could have filed a complaint on myself, I would have done it, uh, because I would have at least initiated an investigation, uh, started a due process, and this smear campaign would have unraveled three and a half years ago. Uh, and so, again, uh, it's been very intentional. Uh, this effort to avoid any investigation of, of any kind. And uh, what's also fascinating uh, is, is the hypocrisy. Uh, the attorneys, uh, very high profile, you know, multi-million dollar attorneys for these accusers, Deborah Katz and Nancy Erica Smith, uh, you know, they have vociferously called for investigations 
uh, in other uh, very similar cases. Uh, during the uh, Supreme Court hearings uh, with Justice Kavanaugh, they begged for the FBI to be involved and said, you know, asked, why don't you want the FBI involved? Why don't you want this investigated? Why won't you take a lie detector test? And then months later, uh, when uh, these accusations were made by these attorneys against me, these false accusations, they all of a sudden do a complete 180 and don't want any of that. They want no investigations. They want no FBI. They want no lie detector tests. And as you know, uh, I took and passed two uh, lie detector tests, took them voluntarily. Uh, and in fact, I took them from the exact same ex-FBI agent uh, that Deborah Katz hired uh, to test uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. And so uh, it's, it's, it's the rules change, uh, right? It's because the goal was not the truth on their end. The goal was to smear me, right? The goal was to block me from the governorship uh, in an emergency situation, you know, in case of emergency, breakout smear campaign. And that's what this was. And I knew that from day one. Um, but I really do think that there is something far bigger and more important going on here. Uh, and so even as we clear, uh, you know, my name and uh, my family's name, uh, I think there's something so much bigger and more important uh, going on here. I think that we are reestablishing in this country the importance of due process, the importance of the rule of law, the importance of elevating our politics. Uh, you think a lot of people would not have been able to survive this kind of an onslaught, but I survived it with a few basic things. Number one, the truth. Uh, number two, faith. Number three, family. Uh, and number four, my love of the people of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, and I've had such incredible, again, role models to do this. Uh, Governor Doug Wilder has really been a political North Star for me for a long time. He has been through uh, horrific things uh, in, in his life and in his career, and he's always come out smiling and fighting. Uh, and fighting and trusting in the people of Virginia. He's always been for them, and he's always told me to trust the people. And again, Bobby Scott, Mark Warner, these are people who, at the height uh, of these accusations, the beginning of the smear campaign, uh, they stood up with courage, and they said, uh, we're going to stand up for the rule of law, for what matters, um, that I wouldn't want this done to me or my family member, and I don't want it done to Justin Fairfax or his family member. Um, I wouldn't want this done to Terry McAuliffe. Uh, or to the mayor of Richmond. I, you know, I, I wouldn't want someone to come out with a piece of paper uh, and three minutes later uh, call for their resignation and for them to, you know, lose everything that they've ever worked for. Because you know what? There's something more important than politics. Uh, there's honesty. There's integrity. Uh, there is uh, uplifting people rather than destroying them. Uh, and one irony, Roland, as you know, my last name is Fairfax. I got it because Lord Fairfax uh, freed my great-great-great-grandfather in 1798. I learned that right before I took the oath of office as lieutenant governor. Uh, my father, incredible man, Roger Fairfax Sr., handed me the piece of paper 20 minutes before I took the oath of office. And what was really ironic about that was we first learned about the first false accusation right around that time. So just as I am learning how my family got this name from 220 years ago, you have people who are setting out to destroy it. Uh, and I knew that there was something bigger, that I was being called to do something way bigger uh, than, than just uh, exist in politics and to just play political games and raise money and attack people. I think I was actually uh, put there for a reason. Uh, and you got to go through things. Uh, as a judge who I clerked for and I love, uh, Judge Gerald Lee always tells me, uh, you know, you cannot have a testimony without a test. And boy, what a test this has been over three and a half years. But I think we're coming out of it uh, even stronger, uh, walking prouder. And, and I should also say this, uh, you know, it's, it, it's been fascinating. You have the attorneys, Deborah Katz and Nancy Erica Smith, uh, you know, in, in so many ways, they've silenced, uh, you know, these two African-American women. Uh, you know, Meredith Watson has not been heard from in three and a half years. 
Uh, it's just her attorney, Nancy Erica Smith, continues to make statements bombastically going after me. And, and I, you know, I've sort of just let the truth uh, speak for itself. Uh, and so the more they talk, the more they attack me, I think it just reminds people not only that these were baseless accusations and not true and a smear campaign, but I think it also reminds people that, you know what, it's worth fighting for when you believe in something, when you believe in the people, when you're in this for the right reasons. Um, you know, we gave up, uh, you know, a lot in the private sector to, to be in public service because that's where my heart is, um, that my heart is always with the people. It's what people did for me, right? Gave me spiritual wealth. I have a spiritual debt. Uh, and that's what got me in politics, and that's what got me through uh, the smear campaign. And so I know Duke is going to do the right thing. Um, I frankly think New York Public Radio is going to do the right thing. Um, I think all those who rush to judgment are going to do the right thing. Uh, and, Roland, let me just also just say, uh, you were extraordinary, not just in this situation, in this moment, uh, but really, uh, you know, in America. I mean, you're providing a voice to so many people who don't have one. Um, and you always stand up for the truth. You have courage. I remember when this first uh, happened. Uh, you had so many media outlets just repeating basically the accusations, throwing my name around with these horrific words, that, uh, things I've never done. Um, but you said, let's, let's take a step back and let's look at due process. Why is there no investigation? Why does the accused ask for an investigation, but those making the accusations not want them? Uh, why are attorneys uh, for these accusers acting as essentially private prosecutors? And that's a fascinating development. I used to be a federal prosecutor, as you know. They are, uh, they want all the consequential powers of being a prosecutor and none of the responsibilities, right? As a prosecutor, uh, you are out to do justice, about fairness. If you get evidence that a, uh, something did not happen, you get exonerating evidence, you put that forward. If you don't do it um, and you don't acknowledge it, it's called a Brady violation. It's one of the worst things you can do as a prosecutor, to continue accusing someone when you have evidence that they didn't do it. Um, and so, again, uh, we're seeing this. They like to indict you with a press release, right? Rather than a grand jury, let me dash out an email to the press, get a headline, uh, and that's your indictment, right? Uh, no due process. They will convict you with a uh, headline. So, so Roland, thank you for standing up, and God bless you. This is all unraveling, and I, I think it's going to take us to higher ground. All right, this is Fairfax. We appreciate you joining us on Roland Martin Culture, and we'll see what happens next in this case. Thanks so much. God bless you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks a lot, sir, folks. Of course, uh, we also uh, are reaching out to attorneys, both women, uh, who have actors to just prepare that, inviting them on the show as well uh, to share their thoughts with regards to this case. Got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, my panel and I will dissect uh, my interview uh, with former Jim Tindall and Justin Fairfax. Guys. You're watching Roller Martin Culture, the Black Star Network. Folks, if you're on YouTube or Facebook, hit that like button, hit that share button. Let's hit a thousand likes. Let's not wait for the last two hours to do so. And of course, download the Black Star Network app. Then we're on all platforms Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. And please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, allows uh, your dollar allows for us to do what we do. A uh, fuel box, uh, 57196 Washington, D.C., 20037 0196. That's for checks and money orders. Uh, Cash App, Dallas Sound, RM Unfiltered. PayPal's R. Martin Unfiltered. Venmo's R. M. Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at Roland S.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Roll When we invest in ourselves, our glow, our vision, our vibe, we all shine. Together, we are Black Beyond Measure. On the next Get Wealthy, with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach, you see the headlines. All frightening, right? Interest rates are going up. The recession is on the way. The stock market is up and down. But you know what they say. Scared money, don't make money. That's why I'm excited on our next Get Wealthy to have a conversation with someone who has written a new book, Fearless Finances, and she's going to share exactly what you need to do 
to secure your bag regardless of the ups and downs of the economy or the stock market. Oftentimes you can start with as little as $5. That's right here only on Get Wealthy on Black Star Network. When we invest in ourselves, we all shine. Together, we are Black Beyond Measure. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Vivian Green. You're hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, we were just again having that conversation with Justin Fairfax, and now I want to bring in uh, my panel who joins me uh, right now. Glad to have uh, them here. Uh, let's uh, get uh, right into uh, this breakdown here. Uh, let's see here. Sorry, y'all. I think glasses off here. It's a little bright out here uh, in Florida as I'm uh, sitting uh, on the uh, on the balcony here. Uh, let's see here. Glad, glad to have uh, my folks uh, in the house. Uh, let's first up. Uh, hello, uh, Nola Haynes, She's Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. Uh, Nola, how you doing? Robert Costello, uh, Executive Director of Rainbow Push Coalition Peak Street Street Project at Larry J. Walker, Assistant Professor, University of Central Florida. Glad to have you here. Robert, I'll start with you. You'll be a, you'll be a resident attorney uh, on this panel. Just your thoughts and assessment of uh, what you heard there, this lawsuit that Justin Fairbanks has filed against uh, the New York Public Radio Station, and also um, what he is calling this rush to judgment uh, against him from so many different people that derailed his once promising right political career. Uh, absolutely, and I, I think it's a very important lesson that we learned. We did we did this topic a few years ago when the allegations first came down, and this is very much what I said Justin Fairfax should do. Fight this to the ends of the earth. Take it to the mat. Uh, far too often what we've seen in public life, it's individuals simply slink away uh, and not want to fight in the public arena. If you're innocent, get out there and fight for your innocence and clear your name. And I, I want people- Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Robert, Robert, hold up, hold up. Mm -hmm. But did you, did you at one point say, though, that he should have resigned and fight? I said... I said, step down and fight it. To devote your full time to fighting it 100% of the time. I was just going to make... But he, chose, but, but he chose not to step down. And, I, I, and, and, and the accusers, the accusers said they were willing to participate in an impeachment hearing. And that's also what caused a lot of people... Like, wait a minute, hold up. You say you don't want to engage in a civil suit, but you will engage in an impeachment hearing, so why not file a criminal complaint? But go ahead. Yeah, that, that, that's the point that I was, that I was just going to make, that I, I felt that he should have stepped down because it was clearly a political hit job, and there was clearly something coming from inside of the Democratic Party uh, where Terry McAuliffe, for some reason, thought that he could win uh, another term uh, by kneecapping uh, Justin Fairfax. And I thought that he should have stepped down, fought this out uh, through the court system, had a judgment on his side, and then ran for governor last term, and we wouldn't see Glenn Youngkin in the governor's mansion right now if, the, if that had occurred. Uh, he chose to stay in there and continue the 
to fight him, continue to clear his name. And I think we're seeing this more often. Last night, Al Franken, who you brought up, was hosting uh, Jimmy Kimmel because what he did was step down from office, fight to clear his name, and now he's reemerging into public life. I think that's part of what separates Republicans from Democrats, that uh, Republicans, you have Donald Trump, who's accused of 26 separate uh, uh, accusations of sexual misconduct and sexual assault. Um, nothing happens from it. Herschel Walker, uh, who is uh, uh, accused of beating several women, uh, stalking multiple women, assaulting multiple women, uh, and there's absolutely no consequence because on their side of the aisle, that is not disqualifying. But I do feel that we have to start uh, start allowing individuals to fight to clear their names because if there's no evidence against you, you can not, that we can't simply say, well, an accusation is a conviction. Uh, and we're seeing this uh, more and more. We see this with Deshaun Watson, who took a year off from football, uh, fought to clear his name the best that he could, and return. Uh, now he's returning for $230 million contract. And I think that the lesson is that if you are innocent, don't just lay down, don't just take it. Fight for your innocence, fight for your name. I think the American people are seeing uh, more and more that when people are innocent, they are willing to fight to, uh, to clear their names. Nola. As the only woman on the panel and thinking about it in the context of Me Too, because I think that, um, you know, you definitely have to bring that into the analysis and the timing of all of this. And, you know, during the Me Too movement, you know, one of the slogans were, I believe the, I believe the victims. And so because that was such a moment where women were coming forward, and they were speaking up. And oftentimes when we do speak up, we're still not believed. And if you have any level of a platform, if you have resources, um, you know, it's it's pretty easy to silent to silence women. It's pretty easy to um, to also have, you know, hit jobs against the accusers. But with that said, I also do believe in guilty until, uh, innocent until proven uh, guilty. And so I think that one of the, um, the criticisms of the Me Too movement was that as soon as someone came forward and said that something happened, then that person just completely lost um, all credibility and pretty much their entire professional lives without any level of investigation, you know, with just a simple accusation. And with the fervor and with the, um, the energy of social media, you know, once people, you know, hear, 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 that, hear that, that, that call that goes out, people pile on and people pile on and then they add to it and it snowballs and it becomes it becomes something it becomes a life of its own to where the pers the people that are caught up in it you know their lives are no longer their own because other people are kind of creating narratives for them so you know it, it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting situation i did read the um I did read the case, you know, before we all came on, and some of the people that are involved are, you know, people that also have sterling reputations, you know, and so I'm just, I'm just eager to see, you know, what the legal process will be, what the outcome will be, because a lot of people are involved, and I don't want to see anybody who's not guilty of something to um, lose their entire lives, nor do I want the Me Too movement to lose you know, to lose all credibility and to lose all steam because, you know, people are fighting back, mostly men are fighting back. But I also want to say one last thing to that point. You know, I'm, I'm very curious about the motivations of the women, you know, that did make the accusations, because if we're saying that um, it's not true, 
then what motivated them to do it? You know, and so that's something that I'm very interested in um, to, to hear going forward. But I'm not going to draw any conclusions the way that I haven't drawn any conclusions. I want to see, um, you know, what the kind of uh, final final legal result will be. And I'm very curious about the, uh, the motivations of the women if it's not true. Uh, Larry, I think part of the problem here uh, is that there's no clearly defined legal route. Uh, for instance, um, uh, as I said, uh, what was it? Allegations were made, and that and that the lawyers for the women, the two accusers, said they were willing to participate in an impeachment hearing, and some Republicans wanted to do that. What I still, to this day, don't understand, and I really don't. What I don't understand is that if the goal was to hold Justin Fairfax accountable, and you had two black female district attorneys in Boston and Durham who both were on the record. We lost Roland. Well, I guess while we're working on getting Roland back reestablished, uh, uh, Larry, could you chime in what you think uh, uh, should happen in the Fairfax case? Because I think uh, many people have these questions about the logical inferences that can be drawn from the accusations, but the problem uh, the problem that is established is that there's a lack of proof there. How do you exactly do you prove yourself innocent uh, in a case like this? What do you think should be the standard going forward? Yeah, I think this is a complicated issue. And as my colleague just mentioned, will be the motivation for these women making these accusations. And so I think there's an, a few things to unpack as we is, we've dealt with this issue the last couple of years. And I think also we have to note that, you know, women historically have not, have, have, don't feel like the system um, works mm -hmm. towards the truth when it comes to issues relating to these kind of um, sexual assault. So I think that's really important to highlight. But the counter to that is also in terms of justice. And how to ensure uh, in this social media age, when these kind of accusations are made against a well-known politician, how do you ensure that it plays out that the wheels of justice turn in the right direction? And I would be really interested if, if you know, Roland talked about reaching out to the attorneys for the two individuals who made the accusations in terms of coming on this show and unpacking for us, um, you know, some of their where they're um, the individuals that they're representing you know, in terms of talking about their story and maybe some of the reasons why they decided they talked more about impeachment and less about, you know, file, you know, civil suits. So, but once again, this, there are, I think this is like a puzzle with a lot of missing pieces. And ultimately, like I said, you know, Mr. Fairfax highlighted his, his, his case for it. But I think it's important, once again, to acknowledge that historically powerful men have had in their position been able to, in, in many respects, ensure that there are ways in which victims don't speak up. And like I said, that's really important to highlight. But I'm ultimately interested in the truth. We know, and I'm also interested in terms of um, Mr. Fairfax, in terms of what, for, for him specifically, because of what's happened to his reputation, is obviously his political career. What is the, what is the end game in terms of if there's a verdict, what if this was never resolved and these accusations are just out there? What's the next step? in terms of his political or uh, professional career 
But like I said, this is a jigsaw puzzle with a lot of missing pieces that none of us have. And that's why I think it's really important to hear those who made the accusations. If not them, there's certainly their attorneys to come out and, and come on the show or various other platforms and talk about um, some of their, tell their story so we have something to compare it against. And, and listening to Mr. Fairfax today. Absolutely. And I think the part of it is just this evolving legal system. It's traditionally been innocent until proven guilty, but uh, with the context given currently, uh, we have to evolve those standards. We're going to go to a quick commercial, try to reestablish rolling. We'll be back after the break. When we invest in ourselves, we're investing in what's next for all of us. Growing, creating, making moves that move us all forward. Together, we are Black Beyond Measure. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, summer is flying by and back to school is just around the corner and fall is here. That's right, a new season is upon us. On our next show, we talk about jumping into action and putting procrastination in the rearview mirror. That's on a next A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie here on Black Star Network. When we invest in ourselves, our glow, our vision, our vibe, we all shine. Together, we are Black Beyond Measure. Next. On the Black Table with me, Greg Carr, a conversation with Professor Toyin Falola, a man described by many as an African intellectual legend. He is without a doubt the most important and prolific writer, thinker, teacher, and servant of African studies in the modern world. And then today, we have George Floyd, the Black Lives Matters, and the reemergence of radical black thoughts. We're honored to welcome him to a very special, can't miss episode of The Black Table, only on the Black Star Network. Hello everyone, it's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And we're SWV. What's up y'all, it's Ryan Destiny and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, uh, welcome back. Sorry about that. I had a slight technical issue, so I had to switch phones. So here's the thing that, and before I go to our next guest, uh, that I think that it has to be said. Um, I'm taking into account everything that Robert said, Noah said, uh, Larry said. I'm taking into account the allegations from these women that were just in Fairfax has said. What I am still confused by, and, and I would love to hear the attorneys for these two women answer this question, if you had two black female DAs in Boston and Durham, who both were on record as saying if a criminal complaint was filed, they would investigate fully, why did these women and attorneys not file a complaint? Because if you say you participate in an impeachment hearing, which is, testi which is testimony, which is public, then why not file the complaint? The statute of limitations didn't apply here. And that's the one thing that I still don't understand why that didn't happen. Uh, I'm still confused by that. And absolutely, I get the concept of believe the women. But also, you have to have a situation where there is due process because you don't want someone making an allegation that simply isn't true. I bring up the case that were uh, the, the, 
days before the Super Bowl, there was a woman who accused Snoop Dogg of raping her. That story, that fell apart literally in days. Uh, same thing uh, with, 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 uh, with Chris Brown. And uh, so the, and there were attorneys who actually came out publicly and made statements. And so the problem here, because no when you asked about where you go, where do you go next, the reality is there is no legal roadmap. There's no, there's no, so there's no civil suit that's been filed. There's no criminal complaint been filed. So what you have here is an allegation that just that this sitting out there in the public space, and so the women can't get it affirmed, and Fairfax can't get his name cleared. So in essence, it's just sitting there. And if I'm Justin Fairfax, I'm doing exactly what he's doing. I can clear my name. If I'm those women and their attorneys, then I'm holding my position. But that's sort of where we are. You literally have no legal pathway moving forward because no. And as Fairfax said, if I could have, he said, if I could have filed a criminal complaint against myself, I would have. But he can't. And so this case right now is just sort of sitting here. And if you're him, that's always around over your head. And it's probably a cost, it clearly cost him the Democratic nomination, cost him the governor's mansion. It probably cost him financially as well. And so that's what, but I, I, I and so again, we're reaching, we're going to reach out to, to the attorneys for both. I would love for them to answer that question. Why was no complaint ever filed when you had black women who were the DAs who said they would investigate? I, I, I still am, um, that's the one thing that still is mind boggling to me why that hasn't been done. And I'm not quite sure uh, why. Folks, let's go to uh, our uh, next story, and that is the, with how Facebook uh, is uh, profiting from white supremacist groups. Now, anybody who understands technology, we know that when you look uh, on social media, how the hard right uh, and how white supremacists, how they have been highly involved uh, in using Facebook uh, to spread uh, their nonsense, to spread uh, their message. Well, last week, uh, the folks at Tech Transparency Project found ads monetizing search results from over 80 white supremacist groups. The organization discovered that, at the, uh, that Facebook searches for some groups with Ku Klux Klan in their name generated ads for black churches, highlighting minority institutions to a user searching for white supremacist content. In 2019, Facebook announced that it would ban white nationalist and white separatist content, adding to its existing ban on white supremacist content. Katie Paul the director and spokesperson for the Tech Transparency Project, who joined us from D.C. So, Katie, glad to have you here. So, essentially, y'all are saying that Facebook is profiting from white supremacy, from racism. Yes, absolutely. Facebook's not just profiting from racism, but it's also creating potential dangerous situations for minority groups that unknowingly are having their ads surfaced in searches for groups like the KKK. So how, so how does that work? So if you type in KKK in Facebook, uh, what's coming up? So when we conducted this experiment, we we can, you know, Facebook is trying to be like Google and trying to monetize every aspect of its service. And in doing so, it monetized searches, um, suggesting to advertisers that those searches would be, uh, the, ad, the ads would be contextually relevant to the searches 
So when you search honorable sacred knights of the Ku Klux Klan, the searches that were popping up were for black churches. Now, of course, Facebook you know, pulls from data you have and tries to serve up ads it thinks that are relevant to you. So important context here is that we conducted this experiment on a militia a styled account that we've been monitoring for years uh, to, to mimic the far right. So there's no reason, um, even in terms of the historic data of that account, that that content should have been showing up, which was deeply concerning. Um, has Facebook had any response to your study? When our study was published by the Washington Post, Facebook said that they immediately rectified the situation, and we have gone back and checked. Uh, some of the searches have been demonetized, certainly not all of the searches in our study. Um, but the fact that Facebook did move quickly to demonetize searches after this report is notable because anybody who's been watching the Facebook space for a while knows that the company is usually quite defiant and doesn't move quickly on anything unless they think there's going to be some sort of serious blowback. And that's clearly what we're seeing happen here. The bigger question is, with with a system, one of the most sophisticated social media platforms in the world, why were these searches monetized in the first place? Uh, Facebook has its own list of dangerous individuals and organizations, and one of the images you're showing right here shows that their own systems recognize some of these searches as violating their, their terms of service, yet they were monetizing them anyway. And the question is why? Um, and how much money are they making off of these businesses and churches and other organizations whose ads are being pushed in searches for this extremist content. Uh, questions from the panel. I'll first start with you, Larry. Yeah, thank you. For, this is it's a very interesting study. My question is, well, first of all, we know that Facebook has been wink and nod, you know, monetizing or in, in various ways, you know, making money off of these groups that espouse, you know, racist, homophobic, you know, views, et cetera. But my question is, have you looked at other platforms to see is it does the what's Facebook doing? Does it mirror other platforms? And if it does, when you, you know, reached out to them or published your, you know, your 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 research, what was the what was the feedback from those entities? So we ran the exact same set of searches that we ran on Facebook on Google, because Google also monetizes searches. And while some of the searches on Google were monetized, uh, the searches for hate groups, the rate of monetization was more than three times higher. Uh, really, it, it didn't even come close. Um, and so Facebook was far, far worse in this space. And it's just another example of where the company has moved, worked to move fast and break things without any consideration for the consequences or potential safety. And I think it's important to note, Facebook is aware that this search monetization issue is problematic because we raised it months ago with the New York Times when Facebook had monetized searches for the full live stream of the Buffalo Shooters video. Um, they actually ran the video in searches right alongside ads for things like a masterclass in live streaming. So the platform is aware that it has these problematic search monetization features, but it's not moving to address them unless directly called out in public spaces. Nola. Thank you so much for um, 
this particular project as a social scientist, you know, this is very exciting to me, you know. So my question is, is a little broader. You know, I tend to think about these things in misinformation and disinformation context, or even um, this particular issue. I have some very strong feelings about the First Amendment, and when it comes to the lack of protections regarding hate speech, um, it's there, but I don't think that the exception is strong enough. So I'm curious if some of the uh, resistance that you receive from Facebook, is it kind of... Um, is it is it couched in this language around uh, protection of First Amendment speech? Well, that's a fantastic question. And absolutely, the First Amendment issues are something that Facebook has used to hide behind as a shield when pressed by Congress as to why they shouldn't be regulated. Um, and, you know, we're not just talking about issues of hate speech. You know, Facebook also platforms terrorist groups that are designated. It allows the trafficking of a variety of endangered wildlife. These are, None of these things can be protected by free speech, but they all have the commonality that the platform makes no effort to moderate them. Um, and, you know, as a private company, Facebook can certainly address free speech. We see that it does clamp down on, on certain groups. Uh, famously, before the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, which was organized through a Facebook event, Facebook removed the event for a counter-protest, um, but not the event for the Unite the Right until the day before. So there are plenty of times where they've made the de decisions to to remove content that they deemed violating. And this is just one other example of where they're really dropping the ball in the name of profit. And I think it's also important to note, you know, Facebook has its own list of organizations that are banned, whether it's terrorist groups or white supremacist groups. And that's one of the lists we drew from for this research. And Facebook actually auto-generates business pages for some of these groups. So we identified a page for the Proud Boys that had been auto-generated by Facebook two months after the insurrection, despite the fact that that group has been banned on the platform since 2018. Wow. Robert. Uh, this is absolutely great work. We've been here since, I think, 2015, both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren uh, calling for Facebook and other social media companies to be regulated as a public utility uh, because of the amount of disinformation that we were seeing in the 2016 campaign cycle. Uh, similarly, and for different reasons, we've seen many on the conservative side of the aisle uh, claim that big tech is now censoring them and have called for uh, additional regulations. What, what, is the ch what are the chances for there being actual legislative action taken uh, to regulate some of these um, large tech companies as public utilities so they will have to actually answer uh, and address the uh, First Amendment to stop many of these deleterious actions from taking place on their platforms? Well, in terms of regulating them specifically as a public, public utility, I'm not sure about the chances of that. But I will say, having watched this space and been in Washington for a long time, um, this is probably one of the strongest bipartisan issues we've seen in many years, particularly when we get to issues like children and the effects of social media on children. You know, this is a group that, regardless of party people are interested in. And we are starting to see a lot of bipartisan interaction um, to push for regulation. You know, we see Senator Blumenthal and Senator Blackburn really coordinating and working together following the release of the Facebook files, which essentially was a whistleblower proving that all of the things researchers like those at the Tech Transparency Project have been showing from the outside for years, Facebook has been well aware of and buried the effects rather than a 
address the problems in the name of profit. So I think that when you have the combination of outside research and the investigative research that our group and others do, as well as these whistleblower documents, there's a very strong chance that the company is going to be further regulated. And I think it's also important to note in the recent FTC filing against Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg himself was actually named as liable in that particular case. And Facebook, just several years ago, paid a, an extra multi-billion dollar fine to the FCC to ensure that Mark Zuckerberg was not being held personally liable. So it's clear that regulators are starting to really kind of crack through the veneer and, and not buying the kind of PR window dressing they're getting from these tech companies anymore. I think Congress has wised up to the broader business model and the effects on society. All right, then. Well, uh, Katie, we sure appreciate you joining us right here on Roland Martin and Booker. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for having Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bonus bets if you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Bring me. All right, then. And folks, let me remind you all, we continue to have uh, our own issues uh, with Facebook. I told you uh, a few weeks ago, I sent an email to several folks at Facebook trying to get an understanding as to why our um, our uh, page has been throttled. What I mean by that is uh, many of you who follow uh, this show on Facebook, uh, you won't no longer get your live notifications uh, when we go live. Uh, we used to have, literally, we, we, we ended the show, we might have anywhere from 60 to 70 or 80 or 100,000 views on Facebook. Uh, we would have uh, a number of folks, uh, and, and I'm talking about, I'm looking right now, look at the numbers, I mean, I'm talking about uh, the numbers are, you know, they rarely ever exceed uh, 250 views. So what has happened is, so what Facebook is doing is, I mean, and again, I've had two different people at Facebook email me to say, hey, we know there's a problem, uh, talking about numbers, uh, but there's a glitch in our system. And I'm sitting there going, are you actually telling me there's a glitch? Why in the hell the glitch ain't fixed? And so what the strategy is, I, so literally, I got 1.3 million people who follow me my Facebook page. So really what Facebook wants me to do, they want me to pay them to boost to the folks who already follow me. To the people who have already said, click my live notification. Uh, and, and that's for real. And, and, I, and they can't say, well, you know, well, it's maybe it's just, you know, sort of the content. No, that's not what it is. Because when I used to even go live just to do a just to do a live just to do a live stream, well, we would hit 1,500, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. Uh, and, and there was a point when we we would have uh, I think we ran a Jane Elliott, the town hall she and I did, panel at the University of Michigan. We had 10,000 folks on Facebook watching that thing live at one o'clock in the morning. That doesn't happen now. So there's no doubt in my mind that Facebook's algorithm is purposely throttling us down to force us to pay reach the people who are already reached. Uh, and so that's why, like I told you all, why we created the Black Star Network app. Uh, that's why we're doing our own thing, because we can't sit here and afford to have these tech platforms uh, determine who gets to see our message and who doesn't. With that, I'm going to go to a break and come back uh, more on Roller Mark Unfiltered. Please follow us to, uh, and uh, support us. Again, download the Black Star Network app, all platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. And also, join our Bring the Funk fan club. Your dollars make it possible for us to be able to cover stores all across the country. Uh, you can send a check on Monday order to PO Box 57196. Washington, D.C. 2037-0196. Cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is our marketing unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingsmartinunfiltered.com. We'll be right back. I challenge myself as an artist and challenge, knowing that I'm going to challenge the audience, right? So oftentimes you come into this business off of one project where everybody's like, ooh, ooh, you stand out. Okay, for me it was Barbershop, Ricky, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Ricky was nothing like me growing up, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> I, nothing like me growing up. 
but if that's people's first experience with you, right, as an audience member, they tend to think that's the real you, right? So, uh, you know, for me, after that, I got a whole bunch of offers to play roles just like Ricky, right? This Tupac-esque type of thug, type of right? And I just said no over and over <laughs> And then you keep trying to do other things. Then I went through a, a, a series of romantic movies and romantic leads, and, you know, I always try to bring some sort of gravitas to those roles. And then it was like, okay, well, but before I get into all of that, let me hit y'all with, you know, for color girls and, you know, step outside of the realm of, you know, what you expect of me to do um, as an audience member in terms of being this romantic lead and everything. Because I didn't get into this business to be the romantic lead, you know, that dude. Like, I didn't get into this business. you can get locked business. in. You can totally get locked in. When we invest in ourselves, we all shine. Together, we are black beyond measure. Next, on The Black Table, with me, Greg Carr, a conversation with Professor Toyin Falola, a man described by many as an African intellectual legend. He is without a doubt the most important and prolific writer, thinker, teacher, and servant of African studies in the modern world. And then today, we have George Floyd, the Black Lives Matters, and the re-emergence of radical black thoughts. We're honored to welcome him to a very special, can't miss episode of The Black Table, only on the Black Star Network. When we invest in ourselves, we're investing in what's next for all of us. Growing, creating, making moves that move us all forward. Together, we are black beyond measure. Hey, I'm Arnaz J. Black TV does matter, dang it. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Stay woke. All right, folks, uh, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Glad to have uh, you here uh, on today's show. Um, when we look at uh, news of the day, you know, we cover a lot of these stories, and, and, and we spend a lot of time uh, focusing on, um, again, uh, you know, how we are impacted um, and, and, and the story dealing with uh, police cases and how folks uh, have loss of life. And it, it, it is always, it is always um, uh, shocking to us, uh, shocking to us um, in terms of when we see these cases. And one of the things that happens is that we often talk about the victims, but we don't talk about uh, the impact on the families. We don't talk about uh, what it means to them. We don't talk, we don't talk about uh, how they have to uh, go through life and uh, are, are dealing with uh, these uh, cases. And uh, one of them uh, that uh, got our attention uh, and we want to talk about um, is a documentary is being done about this particular case. And it deals with um, 
a young man who, uh, who, who lost his life. His name is Kerry Osley, or Owsley, I'm sorry. Uh, he was found dead in the home he shared with his estranged wife, Lisa, on April 7, 2013. Now, his death was ruled a homicide. The first officer on the scene was Lisa Owsley's ex-husband, Dwayne James Sr., and the father to her two adult sons, Dwayne Jr. and Joshua. Though there are those who believe the investigation was botched and Owsley was murdered. Joining us right now is his sister, Cheryl Jackson, and Andrea Moorhead Allen, uh, Clover Lane Media Executive Producer from Bradenton, Florida. Glad to have both of you here. Thank you. Um, first question. So, how long was Carrie? How long was Carrie and Lisa married? Um, they were only married uh, for uh, less than three years. Uh, from the moment, to be clear, Carrie Owsley is the only person of color in this story. He was married to a white woman briefly for about two and a half years. Her adult sons hated him from the jump. Uh, they were uh, on social media talking about how much they hated him, threatening to kill him, calling him uh, the N-word. Um, they, from the very beginning, started to harass him. Um, later, she kind of turned against him as well. And so the day Carrie dies, He's actually moving out of the house with his truck backed up to the door. He calls his own son to come and help him move. And when my uh, nephew gets out there, my brother has been shot to death, um, gunshot to the heart. And the cop dad is the first guy on the scene. He's off duty. Uh, my brother dies with his personal gun. Um, his death is then ruled a suicide. The cop dad admits in his own police report that he watched someone burn the chair my brother died in, that he took the bloody rug from under my brother's body and put it in his own car, even though he was off duty and led an investigation that ruled his death a suicide. Wait, 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 I'm sorry, hold up. Mm. So, I'm trying to understand here. So, her ex-husband is first on the scene, but he's not on duty. Not on duty. Called there by one of his sons. Okay, so one of the sons calls the ex-husband, who's a cop. Yes. So no, no one called the actual cops. No, not until we believe hours later. So, uh, you know, in the end, what happens is um, they won't do an autopsy on his body, even though it's protocol in Indiana. But later, we earned the right because Harvard Justice gets involved. Ron Sullivan from Harvard Justice, you may know him. Trent McCain out of Gary, Indiana, they get involved, and we exhume my brother's body a year later. And there is a forensic expert who was called as a witness on the George Floyd case, who says flat out, "I do not believe Kerry Owsley killed himself. Um, Kerry Owsley would have been standing on his head." to have shot himself. And again, why are there two bullet holes behind Kerry? So um, this has been a nine-year fight. And uh, as um, Andrea and I have been on the phone discussing, um, your show is the first show that we've been on where we are going to be talking about what happened yesterday. And that is the appellate court in Indiana threw this case out again. Um, and they are not allowing my brother's only heir to continue a federal civil rights lawsuit that we have been in the process of creating for more than a decade. 
So, so okay. So an autopsy wasn't done on him. No, not at the time of the. Both my so, mother and I. So, so, so who, who ruled the homicide? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Who ruled the suicide? The coroner on the scene, and then when we interviewed him later, when a news team caught up with him, he said, "Hey, I could tell by looking it was a suicide." So I say, you know, hey, you can't determine. We wouldn't even need autopsies, right? If you can determine by looking at someone uh, that this is a suicide. So there was no. Um, well, first, okay, okay. So, okay, so as somebody who's covered many stories, if he killed himself, that means there'll be gunpowder on his hand. That's why you do an autopsy. You check the trajectory of the bullet. That's why you do an autopsy. You check blood splatter to determine, uh, determine all of that. So this corner on the scene looks at it and goes, oh, suicide, we're done, that's it? That's it. That's it. Now, and so uh, being okay, a journalist. So the ex-husband ex shows up. Okay, I'm trying to. Ex husband shows up. Are there any records as to it was a 911 call ever placed, and how much later was it placed, and like what's the timeline of when the police showed up? Not the ex cop who, not not the ex husband cop who's off duty. Yeah, that's what we don't know for sure. But we do know that when he she calls 911, his wife, um, she's not concerned at all with saving him. To be clear. Um, my brother is gasping for air. She calls, she thinks he's dead. And then you can hear him gasping for air for almost five minutes. Neither she or the 911 operator ever say um, how they might help him. She says every now and then, hey, he's gasping again. The 911 operator says nothing, to which make, I believe that tape has been altered. So she talks about getting the dogs out of the blood. She talks about a window screen out, some windows down. She talks about everything except saving him. And so she finally calls 911. She thinks he's dead. She tells the, the 911 operator he's dead. And then he gasps so audibly that the uh, 911 operator can hear him. And so she begins to talk about him gasping. And then, because I'm a journalist, I know that she can't, the, the cops will not go inside because she says she can't find the gun for almost five minutes until he dies. So until that gun is secure, police won't go in. But I say, how far can a gun go? When you supposedly shot yourself with it, it has right. to be right. If you, if you shot, if you shot yourself, the gun likely falls right next to wherever you are. Uh, I, I, this is so. Um, so, Andrea, y'all have been working on this, and so you've been going, following this, and literally, th th there's no one is curious, and no court system is saying, "Hey." This don't sound right. You know what, Roland, your your first reaction was my reaction. And you're right. It don't sound right. It ain't right. The facts and the evidence and what we've been told, they don't match. And you know, as journalists, you know, we're in this business to hold people accountable. We're in the business to speak truth to power. We're in the business to make sure that we're fair and accurate in our reporting. And when this case first came to me via Cheryl and another, another journalist, I sat there going, how could this happen in America? But yet we do know that justice sometimes is denied for people who look like us. And 
I told Cheryl that I would join her in this fight. You know, I have a heart for cases like this, being a 30-year seasoned, you know, veteran journalist um, back in Indianapolis for over 21 years. You know, these kinds of cases that typically come into our newsrooms, they are, um, especially if the victim is white, those cases are adjudicated pretty quickly. They have a, the, the victim, they've got the suspect, and they're arrested, and then they're on the news announcing, hey, we found the suspect, and this person's going to be held accountable. This case here is about as simple as it comes when, it, when we look at the evidence and we look at the truth. And for no one to hear Cheryl, she has been asking, begging, pleading, protesting for the last almost 10 years, for no one to look at the information, to look at the evidence and say, something's not right here, and to do something about it, it's just unconscionable. And here we are with the CNN reporter, Cheryl, former CNN reporter, veteran journalist and educator, teaching journalism to, to students across the nation for the last 15 years. If this can happen to her, it can happen to any of us. And so we have been pleading to somehow get this case in front of Attorney General Merrick Garland. And I can tell you last week, a couple of weeks ago, when we found out that um, they decided to go ahead and file charges against those officers in the Breonna Taylor case, Cheryl and I said, yes, maybe now we can possibly get this case in front of them as well. And for them to look at this case and to have an independent investigation, everything that should have taken place as it relates to this investigation didn't happen. That's a problem. And, and, you know, oh. Roland, the, the details are egregious. They're not, they're not superficial. You know, I started collecting information like a journalist from the beginning. Um, it's not hard to look at and say there's something wrong. Uh, to be clear, my brother, again, dies with this cop's personal gun. How is that gun on my brother's property? Um, he admits that. He admits in his own police report. He touches the body. He touches the gun. He takes the bloody rug home. He watches someone he puts in... Uh, quotation marks, burn the bloody, burn the chair my brother dies in, and helps lead an investigation that rules this a suicide. And then we exhume the body after a fight. We hire a uh, Dr. Um, uh, well, uh, Warner Spitz, who is world-renowned uh, forensic expert. And when we exhume his body, we find out he is in, one year later in standing water, which means he was, the vault was not closed and his body was not preserved correctly. And so, you know, you can exhume a body 20 years later and it's preserved. And so that's what we thought we were getting. Nobody works this hard to cover up a suicide. So when we find out that not only is his body in standing water, they have literally scraped over the wound after death. Both the court uh, ordered pathologist and the one we hired said they have scraped over the wound after death so that you cannot determine how close the gun was when he killed himself. So again, I say nobody works as hard to cover up a suicide. It's, it's a classic case of cover up. And, and, you, and, and uh, uh, go back to, and I know, know my panel has questions, so Robert, Nolan, Larry, I'm coming to y'all after this uh, answer here. So he, so the, so the ex-husband cop admits to disposing of evidence? Yes. In his own police report, he admits that he took oh, the bloody... Oh, wait, 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 why is he report. Do... wait, 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 why is he doing the police report? Well, that's what we want to know. He wasn't, he wasn't on duty. That's, you're that's right. That's what we want to know. You're right. 
So, so what did he admit in the police report of disposing? He admits that he took the bloody rug from under my brother's body and put it in his own car. He admits, and he has in quotation marks, he watched someone burn the chair my brother died in the backyard like this is the 1960s South. He admits to touching every piece of evidence in the crime scene. And to be clear, when I find out about this, I'm on a Match.com date in Chicago. I was living in Chicago at the time, and the guy happens to be a Chicago detective. He ends up being the key to me understanding the evidence. He and I are at a coffee shop. We're talking. He goes to the restroom. When I turn my phone over, everyone in my life has called me to tell me my brother is dead. This cop starts telling me, he said, if I did what this cop did on the crime scene, I would be in the Cook County Jail in my uniform. He said he touched every piece of evidence in the crime scene. And when I asked him why he thought he did that, he said, to make sure that you understand this crime scene is contaminated and you'll never find the truth. Um, questions, uh, Robert, I'll start with you. Uh, this is an, an absolutely harrowing tale, and I, I hope we find justice in this case. Uh, has there been any, any effort by the family to hire their own uh, private forensic investigator to uh, compile a report on this case? And what, uh, beyond the local authorities, have you talked to the state-level authorities to investigate or even to the Federal Bureau, Bureau of Investigations? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I, I mentioned earlier um, uh, Dr. Bill Smock, who was called as an expert on the George Floyd case is out of Louisville. He's the call of a police surgeon. Mm -hmm. He happens to be teaching a gunshot wound and trajectory workshop in Indiana to Indiana State Police. That's how much the system trusts him. Um, he's also been an FBI consultant. He looks at our case. So one of the, the police officers in the um, workshop says, have you heard about the Carrie Owsley case? And he said, no, but if they'll send me the autopsy video, I'll take a look at it. And he says, he goes on the news. I mean, never paid by us. He's not hired by us. And he says, this, I believe this crime scene is staged because my brother's chair was turned over. And he said, in life, no gun blows you back, like in the movies, especially not a Cal Walter PPK, which is a very small, small gun. So yeah, so then um, the, the um, authorities, after badgering them, they say they'll turn it over to the FBI. And the, the state level FBI agent told me that the sheriff handed him a box and said, this is all that was left when I got here. The gun is lost. The bullet has been lost. The clothes were destroyed. Um, my brother's body was in standing water. The only thing they didn't destroy is the trajectory of the bullet. And that makes Dr. Smock uh, believe that Kerry did not kill himself. Mm -hmm. So the FBI at the federal level rejects to move forward because they said they have no evidence. But the trick bag is, is that the Owsley family didn't destroy the evidence. The police did. So the evidence, they don't have it. So what is our remedy now? Because they destroyed the evidence. This is how a black man gets mm -hmm. murdered in, in America and people get away with it. It's all this, and if Andrea and I, as journalists, are breaking down the evidence, we're not, you know, the average person is not equipped to do this. And we're breaking down this evidence. And um, Roland, I know you know my uh, former student, Jasmine Miner, who, who works in news. She heard about this case when I was teaching her. And she also has been, you know, looking through the evidence. And so we've been trying to figure out how to get someone on board. Um, even though we have a team of attorneys, Lobie and Lobie, I don't know if you've heard of them out of Chicago. They are the ones who have uh, gotten awards for uh, people who have been um, the John Burge police officer who forced um, tortured people into um, black men, specifically into confessions in the 80s. Um, they have been our attorneys working on contingency without pay 
for five or six years. And so attorneys don't do that if they don't believe there's something there. And Absolutely. Andrea and I got connected by Jasmine, and Andrea just said, I want to tell this story, and that's how we end up here. And let me tell you, a big part of the story, not to bury the lead here, is that, you know, Cheryl went through all of the, the procedures to try to have this case independently investigated. And in the state of Indiana at the time, the governor was our former vice president, Mike Pence. And just keeping it real here, Cheryl, he could have called for an independent investigation, and he did not. So we have a lot of questions. We want to know why not. If it is as clean as they say it is, then let us have an independent investigation. If these people are as innocent as we keep being, as we've been told they are, then let us open an independent investigation because we don't trust what they have done during this process. It's all been the worst of the worst in terms of procedure. Everything that should have been done was not done and it was not done properly. The behavior from all of the part participants in this case, unethical, unconscionable, against humanity, and that's what we're fighting for. This case must be held. These people must be held accountable for this heinous crime. And we believe that they are all sitting there in Columbus, Indiana, because they are aware that we are now moving forward with trying to get more people to hear about this case so that we can hopefully get an independent investigation by the attorney general's office. And so we believe that they're scared. We believe that they're one or two of these people who are, you know, some of the characters, if you will, in this in, the, in this brazen crime, that they want to tell the truth but have been afraid to tell the truth. They know what happened, and we're going to work as diligently as we can, as long as we have to, to find justice for Carrie. And, and to be clear, uh, the Mike Pence connection is not a superficial one. Mike is from my hometown. Mike and I are about the same age. I wrote a diversity column in the only newspaper in that town for 10 years. Mike knows exactly who I am. I was the diversity trainer for the police department, the mayor's office, the first diversity trainer ever in the school system in Columbus, Indiana. I'm not unknown to him. I went to see him five times. Mike Pence would not see me. Mike knows exactly who I am. And so he would not see me. He would not help me. In fact, uh, former Representative Lee Hamilton, who works at Indiana University now, I went to see him. He called the attorney general's office directly when Mike Pence was the governor of Indiana. They called me back directly and said they were going to look into it. Within a week, they called me back and said they were not. The only person that can call down the attorney general's office is Mike Pence. Now, Mike Pence is connected to the people that we have involved in this federal civil rights lawsuit. They are people that he is at the county fair with. One of them says that when he gets chosen by Trump, they call him on his personal cell phone. They quote that in the newspaper. So Mike Pence did not miss the story about his hometown when the Indianapolis Star broke a series of stories call it with my mother's picture holding my brother, uh, my brother's senior picture saying tainted evidence, the headline on a Saturday and Sunday series. And they threw that on the governor's mansion front porch. Mike did not miss that. And we, and Andrea has always re already reached out to Mike for an independent interview. She's interviewed him throughout her career there. Mike knows who I am. He knows who I am. And so far, Question, uh, Larry, Larry, our emails. Larry. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Roland. First of all, thank you for you know bringing this important story on the show and talking about it in, in detail. I want to go back to the sons 
you know, you talked about they were posting a lot of hate speech. I'm assuming, you know, Facebook or some other social media platform. And obviously you, you've highlighted how they felt about them and they made it clear. And I, I wonder what they said in their statements, you know, in terms of what happened, were they present first? And also they were what statements they gave to authorities. So the, um, so both of them have superficial and multiple um, alibis. Uh, the one that I believe is likely to kill my brother, I've been very, I've spoken public about it. Um, I believe the younger son is in his late 20s at the time. I believe Josh James likely killed my brother. Uh, my brother was moving out. Josh was moving in again and again. He had a drug problem. His other, my, my brother, there are numerous calls to police where my brother is fighting with them, physically fighting with them. My brother had enough of it after a couple of years. He was moving out. The younger son uh, was says he was not on the premises, and yet his alibi witnesses, there are two different alibis. Uh, the other son says that um, he's going to go for a ride on his motorcycle with another, another person. That person says he shows up and says that, oh, he gets a call from his mom within five minutes saying my stepdad killed himself. When I post that, Someone else calls me and says he was out to our house smoking weed and gets the same call and says my stepdad killed himself. So this is all creating alibis on this day. So we don't actually know the timeline. What I can tell you is they have multiple alibis and I have those. Uh, I've collected every single thing that has happened. And I'll tell you this, not one person or official in that town has said Cheryl Jackson is a liar about anything I've said because all I say is truth and I can prove everything I say. So nobody ever just posts a story that says Cheryl Jackson tells lies because I'm telling the truth. Um, so both of them, yes, uh, one of them says he wasn't there. I believe that's the one that killed him. There's a, there's a fury of phone calls back and forth between he and his mother, and then suddenly no calls, and then 911 is called. So I do believe he killed my brother, and um, he says he wasn't on the scene. The cop dad stays on the scene through the night, witnesses will say helps clean the scene, sends the wife for bleach. The drywall truck stays out there for a week and repairs the drywall. And Dr. Bill Smock, the, the forensic guy uh, from the George Floyd case, calls our sheriff and says, hey, I believe this crime scene is staged. Let's go in there, take another look where the bullet holes are, whatever. And the uh, sheriff says, I'm not going to invade the privacy of these, this family. Absolutely not. Uh, no, uh, no, are you there? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I don't think you can hear. Oh, hi. Uh, no, go, what's, your, go, what's your question? Oh, uh, you on mute. I think you're on mute. Yeah, you're on mute. Uh, control room, let me know what's going on. Uh, I can't hear her. Um, did we ever meet her or is she on mute? I want to get her question before we go. All right, for some reason, we're not getting Nola's audio. Uh, so uh, let's get that fixed. Uh, y'all are working on a doc. Um, what's the status of that? Um, and is it near completion? Have you pitched it? We're on the air. Any details? Andrew, you want to take that one? Yeah, well, you know, we've been working on the three of us, Jasmine, myself, and, and Cheryl. You know, we've been in a conference room for the last, oh gosh, five or six months and just kind of pouring over all the information, the evidence. And, you know, our idea is to really speak about, not just about this case, but really race relations and how the justice system sometimes, for the most part, fails African-Americans, especially when it comes to crimes like this. And so we have a comprehensive nine-part documentary that is slated. We have been in touch with some of the biggest powerhouse production companies across this nation. We have been in touch with other networks who know about this case. But yet, no one so far has said definitively Yes, we want to cover this case. We want to be part of this documentary. We want to find justice for Carrie and justice for Carrie Owsley's family. And so this is where we are. We're trying to appeal to the masses. We're trying to appeal to the nation for them to hear the facts of this case and to help us 
push it forward. So we are still in the infancy stages, but we are prayerful that with, thankfully, with your help, Roland, and, um, and, and everyone who is watching, that they will look at this and say, you know what, we as a people need to do something about this. This has to stop, because if we don't hold people accountable, it will happen again. And I'm sure that we are not the only story where there are people out there who are looking for justice, people who look like us, who have not been able to have their stories be told, whose voices haven't mattered. And we want to be the conduit to let them know that, hey, if we can do it, you can do it. We have to press people to do the right thing and to not back down. So as it relates to the documentary, we are just waiting for that phone call to come through. But in the meantime, we are still going to talk about this case. We are going to be on social media. We are bringing people to join us and to be in protest with us back in Columbus, Indiana. And we're also going to hopefully have people begin to sign a, um, a, a sheet to say, you know what, Merrick Garland, please, open this case back up and have an independent investigation. So the ball is rolling and we want everybody to join us and to help push us forward so that we can find justice for this family. And right, I Cheryl and Andrea, I... Can I just say one other thing? Um, Ron Sullivan from the Justice, the Harvard Justice Institute, he's formerly the Justice Institute, said to me, this may not be the most egregious civil rights case in America, but it may be the one where we have the most evidence. Mm -hmm. We have investigative files that prove what we're saying. And in America, if you can have 100 pages of evidence, and Andrea and I, I've been on TV all over this nation, and we still do not have justice nine years later. Today, I want to say that today, the appellate court in Illinois threw this case out without even hearing my attorneys who've been preparing for it for years. So I heard nothing, no evidence, and just made a blanket decision to say no. Got it. Cheryl and Andrea, uh, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, certainly let us know what happens and what is moving forward. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, going to a break. When we come back, uh, more on Roland Martin on Filter. We'll talk with the uh, fire and police chief of Charlottesville, Virginia. Why are cops in the department not want to work for her? And why the city council fire her? She'll tell her story. Uh, we also have, of course, uh, Tech Talk, and we hear from NFL players who are competing on America's Got Talent. All of that right here on Roland Martin Filter. Download uh, the app, Black Stripe Network, available on all platforms, Apple Phone, Android Phone, Apple TV, TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. And of course, you can join our Brain the Funk fan club. Check money orders, go to Pillbox 57196, Washington, D.C. 2007-0196. Cash app at Dallas South, RM Unfiltered. PayPal is Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zero is Roland at when we invest in ourselves, our glow, our vision, our vibe, we all shine. Together, we are Black Beyond Measure. On a next to balanced life with me, Dr. Jackie. Summer is flying by and back to school is just around the corner and fall is here. That's right, a new season is upon us. On our next show, we talk about jumping into action and putting procrastination in the rearview mirror. That's on a next A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie here on Black Star Network. When we invest in ourselves, 
we all shine. Together, we are black beyond measure. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr, a conversation with Professor Toyin Falola, a man described by many as an African intellectual legend. He is without a doubt the most important and prolific writer, thinker, teacher, and servant of African studies in the modern world. And then today, we have George Floyd, the Black Lives Matters, and the re-emergence of radical Black thoughts. We're honored to welcome him to a very special, can't miss episode of The Black Table only on the Black Star Network. Hey, I'm Dion Cole from Blackish. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. Y'all, the first black woman to lead the Charlottesville, Virginia Police Department has been fired. Uh, Rochelle Brackney, she joined the tumultuous department after the Unite the Rally, leaving, of course, was left one person dead, other injured in 2017. Now, she was trying to reform the police department, regain the public's trust, uh, but before she could, she said she was wrongfully terminated. She joins us right now. She's a distinguished visiting professor of practice at George Mason University. Uh, from Charlottesville, Virginia. Glad to have you here, Dr. Brackney. So um, I was reading several stories, and I mean, you were dealing with cops who, frankly, did not want to listen to you, did not want to follow your directives. They fought you at every turn. Uh, explain your tenure as police chief. So I wish it was as simple as that they fought me and um, didn't want to listen to me at every turn. It was actually much more vile. Um, I started um, there in 2018 after the Unite the Right rally. The purpose um, that I was brought in for was my area of expertise in restorative justice, procedural justice, um, and my understanding that I was attempting to fuse justice into the criminal legal system when typically that does not happen in minority community. Um, so that would have been fine, but what happened is, is I literally started investigating white male officers for racist, misogynistic, anti-Semitic, homophobic behaviors. Um, and that led to um, the city deciding that I was no longer fit to be the leader of that department. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You are literally investigating these things and the city goes, uh-uh, no, no, we're good. Even though you would want that stuff not in your police department. You would actually think um, that is the case, um, but you're exactly right. I had been there for about three and a half years, um, and in June of 2021, I received a video about one of our officers in uniform on city cell phones, um, basically saying that um, they wanted to get back to the hood so they could do hood gangster shit. Um, and I started an investigation 
All of the things they were doing were doing them on city phones. And uh, not only were they on uh, the city phones, they were sharing these recordings. They were recording um, nude women, passing those around, um, using racial slurs that officers' skins, black officers who were recruits, their skin was getting whiter and whiter um, the more they worked with the field training officers. They had text messages that they wanted to take out officers who um, they believed were snitching. They had text messages that they wanted to take out the command staff, myself, the top four, and let God sort it out. Um, they were making um, comments about Black Lives Matter um, and the George Floyd marches, um, that they were interested in um, letting off some steam through violence. They were recording their body-worn cameras and blocking views when they were um, committing violent acts and they used each other's bodies to block the views so that you couldn't see the type of violence they were committing. And these were all supervisors and field training officers and all part of the SWAT team. Um, I started investigating them. And the minute I terminated the, the, the officers, their police union got involved um, and said that I was incompetent and the city manager went along with it. Although I've never had a single evaluation that said I was not, you know, I hold a PhD I have been in policing for 38 years, um, have a stellar career and nationally recognized in the work that I do. Um, but I was a black female who um, had the audacity to fire white males. Wow. Um, <laughs> that's that that is crazy. Um, let me bring in my pal Larry. Uh, you get a question for Dr. Bratney, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, thanks for coming on. I've had a chance to, you know, read a few different articles about some of the challenges you, you encountered. And I, I wonder what the, the challenges you had to deal with. So, you, you know, you talked about your role in your, your work in law enforcement, but you're also an academic. So you're not only in terms of, you know, what you bring to the table in terms of, like I say, your role in law enforcement, but understanding statistics and various other methods in terms of addressing some of these issues. What does it say that we've seen this racial uh, upheaval over the last couple of years? And there are a lot of individuals like yourself who've been brought into law enforcement and various other institutions to solve longstanding problems. But overall, what do you think it says about what happened to you and then the true commitment to address systemic issues, particularly in law enforcement? So what I think it says um, about it is, one, Policing is not an institution that can be reformed. It must be, it is operating solely as it was designed to operate. Um, and we are foolish to believe that we might be able to reform this system. This is a system that must be deconstructed and imagined, not reimagined um, in its current construct. It also says that racism and white supremacy, um, it adapts faster than any COVID variant. Um, it adapts, it, it's more deadly than any sort of virus that we face in our communities. And the interesting thing about it is, we as black folks aren't eligible for any vaccination or inoculation against it. It's gonna continue um, operating the way that it operates. Um, I also say that if we could not get it done after the public execution of George Floyd, through any of the George Floyd um, policing acts or any of the reforms, that that movement that was there, if we couldn't get it done then, um, all police, most police are gonna do is hold their breath and wait until the next moment um, passes 
and, and, let, the mo and let the movement pass by them. Um, both as an academic and as a practitioner, I understand it in my head what's going on, but you know the fear of what could happen to my black male husband who stands six foot two, who's also an academic from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, if they can make those kind of threats against me and I carry a gun every day, what does it look like um, with black males and minority communities who are out there? When your own department threatens to kill you and you have to leave your station with your gun at your side because you don't know what's gonna come out at you, what does that say for the rest of the community? Robert. Uh, the, the story is absolutely uh, uh, just mind-boggling, but it's not uncommon. What we've seen the last couple of uh, few years, uh, particularly since, as you said, the uh, murder of George Floyd, uh, is law enforcement going after black women in power, be it DAs like Marilyn Mosby uh, or mayors like Keisha Lance Bottoms or uh, Lori Lightfoot. Why, what is it about the police power structure that has something against black women telling them what to do or questioning? Their, uh, their judgment and questioning their actions? Well, it's because they're completely empowered. You know, policing in America is 800,000 different police personnel, um, I'm sorry, 18,000 different agencies with more than 800,000 individuals. individuals. And the majority of it is um, a white male institution. So the audacity of this black woman who um, Malcolm X said is the most disrespected person in America the least protected person in America, they feel very comfortable um, coming after us. And very seldom does anyone stand up and say, this is unacceptable. Um, I filed a lawsuit in June of this year, and it isn't until the Washington Post comes out and says what I've been screaming from the rooftops to the DOJ to come in to investigate Charlottesville Police Department. I filed it with the Civil Rights Division in Richmond, and, and I hear nothing back. Um, and if I have the documents, like when I tell you I have receipts, I have the videos, I have the text messages, I have all of this evidence and have been slowly posting it on my Twitter accounts, what it says is it's okay in America to treat us that way. And the ironic part about all of this, if you've been following Charlottesville, I exposed an insurrectionist who was at the insurrection in the Capitol, did security for Alex Jones and Rico Tario, works in the city of Charlottesville's IT department in public safety, and the city has said, oh, we'll keep him. We can't terminate him for his behaviors, but we can terminate the chief without cause. Now, let that sink in. I was terminated without cause. Um, and that was in the contract that they terminated without cause, but they'll keep an insurrectionist. Um, and I'm going to let you guess what that person's gender and race is, and they don't look like me. Uh, looks like we have the technical issues solved, but Nola, uh, Nola, go right ahead. Um, can you hear me okay? Because I think yes, I'm frozen. Yes, go ahead. Okay. okay, so first of all, Thank you so much for being um, vocal, for standing up for yourself. Um, when I first read this story, I was apoplectic. I was so annoyed. You know, as a 
as a black woman and, you know, working in spaces with a lot of white males, I find that, you know, the moment you open your mouth, the moment you have an opinion, you know, the eyes start to roll and you hear the sighs and like, here comes this hypercritical black woman and, you know, she's going to have an attitude and it's going to be all these things. And so one of the things that I feel like that I've recognized, you know, especially since George Floyd, and thank you for so much for putting it in context. So you had this rush to, um, you had this rush towards DEIA, right? You had this rush towards diversity. And then in a split second, everyone immediately got exhausted. And a lot of black women were put in positions of power. And so my question to you is, how did you feel when you first, um, got hired into your role? Did you think that your identities had something to do with it? Or, and if you did think that, how did you, how did you handle it? Like, what was that process? Because I know, you know, how I feel in some of the positions that I hold in my own life. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm okay if diversity is one of the reasons why I am here. But then on the other hand, am I okay with that? So I'm just very curious, like, you know, what was your process and what was your thinking? And lastly, I hope that you have some level of security for yourself. And I hope that you and your family are okay going through this. Um, let's do the first part, security. We've had to install alarms all over our home. I have a weapon in every room of my house. Um, we do not open our doors without um, checking them first. I live in the district where the Police Benevolence Association union member um, who brought all the, the you know charges against me, this is, I live in that police state, um, but I, I applied for the first time in 38 years for concealed carry, so it is coming out. If you all let you know, it is in the Louis at all times. You know, I'm pulling it out the bag. Don't let the lip gloss fool you. Um, so our security is is tight. But let me just say this. I understand I live in central Virginia in Charlottesville. And um, the likelihood that someone will do something foolish is great. And I listened to your prior story. Cops will cover up um, those kinds of incidents. Um, they talk about the thin blue line, and um, I don't see black or white, I only see blue. Uh, boo, they see shades of blue, and I have never been the right shade um, of blue. Um, when I was first brought on to Charlottesville, I think, so the mayor was out of the activist community, you know, Mayor Nakia Walker um, had been part of the community that was fighting white supremacy and then was the mayor, and she hired me um, with Dr. Um, West Bellamy. And yes, I was hired for qualifications that I was a black female. I did fit those demographics. But like I said before, I hold a PhD. I have been in policing for 38 years. I've gone through the FBI National Academy, the Secret Service National Academies. I've gone through bomb schools. I ran our SWAT teams. I headed up our investigation. I did 31 years in the city of Pittsburgh, retiring as a commander there. So. Um, yes, people like to say that I was this affirmative action quota hire. Um, if that's what a quota hire looks like, then yeah, I'll take that. Um, the sad part is that in 2021, 2022, the fact that we're still saying the first, the only, the, the one um, should sadden every single one of us. And remember the trauma. Um, and so I appreciate only your question, the trauma when you are that first one who breaks through a ceiling, 
um, think about the metaphor, you're coming through glass and shards and it's being dug into your skin and you're being scarred and then you're gonna land on some shaky ground because that, that ceiling that you broke and nobody's often there to support you. All right, then, Dr. Brown, we appreciate you uh, joining us uh, on the show. This is uh, this story is absolutely crazy. Hopefully, the Department of Justice uh, will look at uh, the information that you've already uncovered and then will do a patterns and practice investigation into the Charlottesville Police Department. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot and stay safe. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. All right. Folks, got to go to break. We come back. We'll talk uh, tech talk segment. Thank you. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. As an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol, we've seen shock. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear. Yo, what's up? This your boy Ice Cube. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Native houses for folks who are on Instagram and TikTok. What about a hacker house? With two brothers uh, have launched that uh, in New York. Uh, it is a truly interesting concept. Uh, Co-founders Rusty and River Fields join us from Brooklyn, New York. Gentlemen, glad to have you here. So, what is a hacker house? Yes. First off, thank you so much for having us. We're super excited to be here. Um, so, hacker house is and our house, which is named Bar Project is a community built for black engineers, founders, creators, and they're allies to come together, co-live, co-work, and launch, work on startups together. All right, so are you housing hackers or is that just simply uh, a nice marketing name uh, to get attention? Yeah, so the concept, um, so our project is called Our House, and the concept of what it is is a hacker house. and. There's different um, iterations of these, like in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, um, Austin. It's just these places where software engineers, they come together. You leverage the power of collaboration community. You exchange resources, networks, um, and backgrounds to each help promote in each other's growth and development and um, contribute to each other both personally and professionally. And so, um, how, how does it work? How long does someone stay there? Um, is it, you know, just walk us through uh, what one of these uh, houses, uh, how does it operate? So we just completed our first one, running from July 11th to August 5th, four weeks, four-week residency hacker house. Um, so we curated a group of 13 engineers, designers, artists, product devs to co-live, co-work um, in a three-story Bed-Stuy brownstone and launched some ambitious Web3 Web2 startup. So we had during the four weeks there were um, they were spending most of the days working on their projects. Then we had fireside chats, panel discussions, um, lots of networking events, and then also really awesome guest speakers. For example, Ryan Hoover from Product Hunt, um, founder of Product Hunt, spoke with the group. Also, Colin Wallace, who's a serial entrepreneur in the food and beverage space. Um, so it went really well, um, and we're planning on hosting another Hacker House October. Uh, let's see. I'm sure if there was a gun house, Robert would host one. So, Robert, what's your question 
uh, with these uh, two brothers in Tech Talk. All right, don't have Robert there. Uh, got so Larry. Yeah, so first of all, congratulations. It's a great concept. We know that there's a need for more black engineers. What I also like is this, this idea of, of collaboration with engineers coming together in, in one place over a period of time to work on concepts and support each other. I wonder if you talk about, I know that you've been offering some, you know, individuals uh, rewards, right? So they have an opportunity to, to have startup, receive some startup money. So can you talk a little bit about who, you know, some of the other entities, organizations you've been um, collaborating with to kind of give you seed money so you can support um, some of these other engineers? Yeah, so we've been supported by um, Citizens Committee for New York City, which is a um, it's a grassroots, it's a nonprofit organization, major nonprofit organization in New York City that supports microgrants to grassroots organizations doing impactful work, um, and they gave us a five thousand um, dollar check to support our work with our house. Yeah, in partnership with Wells Fargo. Nola, your question. This this is so amazing. Can you hear me? Yes, we can yep, hear you. We got you. Go ahead. Okay. Awesome. So this is so amazing. I'm so excited about this. Um, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful idea. And so I think I have a little bit of a different question that's not um, about um, the actual tech. Um, I, I'm very curious about the co-living situation and how that has been going. And do you think that this model um, will um, that the result will be, a, a, you know, a greater result in terms of creativity and how people are collaborating together. I'm just very curious about, you know, that that type of model that you all have set up. And so far, what what, what are you finding? Like, what are some of the pros? What are some of the cons? I mean, are we going to get a reality show like, you know, going forward one time, you know, in the future? I mean, so what is that environment like? I'm very curious. Yeah, so just to your uh, question on the co-living, so it's been, I think it's really awesome experience and what we've heard from the court has been incredibly impactful, um, especially coming off of the back of COVID-19, you had this period where everyone was quarantined. And so it's really um, leaning into this idea that there's power in collaboration, there's power in community, and that when you're building in isolation, it's much, um, much harder you're navigating this process on your own. And when you come in community, you get to leverage the idea, you get to lever the, leverage the experience of everyone else in the house. Yeah. All right, Amazing. then. Gentlemen, uh, if people want uh, to get more information, how do they reach you? Yeah, so you can reach us online at our house, so our house, the letter rhouse.nyc. Uh, uh, follow us on Twitter at rhouse.nyc and on Instagram at rhouse.nyc. And so there you can stay tuned with updated information about events we have coming up, the upcoming applications in October for the cohort in Bed-Stuy. And then we're also doing a cohort in November uh, four-week residency around Afrotech in Austin, Texas. And so information on that will also be on the website, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, then. Rusty and River Fields, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. All right. Thank, thank, you, thank you so, so much. much. Folks, quick break. We come back. NFL players in the choir performing on America's Got Talent. We'll talk to one of them next on Rolling Martin and Coach on the Black Star Network. I challenge myself as an artist and challenge, knowing that I'm going to challenge the audience, right? So 
Oftentimes you come into this business off of one project where everybody's like, ooh, ooh, you stand out. Okay, for me it was Barbershop, Ricky, da 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 Ricky was nothing like me, right? <laughs> nothing like me growing up. But if that's people's first experience with you, right, as an audience member, they tend to think that's the real you, right? So, uh, you know, for me, after that, I got a whole bunch of offers to play roles just like Ricky, right? This Tupac-esque type of thug, type of right? And I just said no over and over again. And then you keep trying to do other things. And then I went through a, a series of romantic movies and romantic leads, and, you know, I always try to bring some sort of gravitas to those roles. And then it was like, okay, well, but before I get into all of that, let me hit y'all with, you know, for color girls and, you know, step outside of the realm of, you know, what you expect of me to do um, as an audience member in terms of being this romantic lead and everything. Because I didn't get into this business to be the romantic lead, you know, that dude. Like, I didn't get into this business. you can get locked in. You can totally get locked in. Houston. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. E All right, you know, you got professional football players uh, who are excellent on the field, but what about in the choir? That's right. For years, uh, the NFL players have actually had their own choir. They've been performing. Uh, all across the country. Now they are also on America's Got Talent. Joining us right now from Atlanta is Brian Scott, a former Atlanta Falcons and Buffalo Bills player and a member of the Players Choir. Uh, Brian, glad to have you on the show. Uh, Thanks. I, uh, I've been to, uh, there's always a gospel event every year um, uh, around the Super Bowl, and uh, the Players Choir has performed there. Uh, and so how long has this choir been around? Well, you know what? First, happy Wednesday. <laughs> it's great to see you. We've been around 14. So the choir's been around 14 years. And uh, it started with the vision of the, the executive producer and founder, Melanie Few, had this vision and uh, put together this show called the Super Bowl Gospel Celebration. It's always held at the site of the Super Bowl. And you know what? One year it was Miss Patti LaBelle was there and she was looking out in the crowd and she said, you know, I see some really handsome guys out there that play football, but I bet none of them can sing. And uh, when she put that challenge out there, there was a couple of guys that came up and they took the mic, man, and they started singing. So that was the vision to say, you know what, there actually is some musical talent inside the NFL and, and we formed this choir. <laughs> so so Pag tried to play y'all, huh? That's right. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, now, uh, and, and now, how often do y'all perform? So we really would only get together maybe one to two times a year because, guys, we live all over the country and really hard to practice, making sure we, we take advantage of, you know, the virtual platforms. But uh, this year we performed at, this, at the Pro Bowl. We sang the national anthem. And uh, it caught wind of that, and they said, you know what, it might be an interesting audition if you audition for AGT. So we, uh, we decided we first said no, then said yes, then said no, and ultimately said yes and took the shot. <laughs> Uh, so let's talk about this America's Got Talent. Um, how's that been going? 
So it went really, really well. You know, we went out there for the audition and uh, we sang uh, Bill Withers' Lean On Me. And, uh, you know, honestly, a lot of us, we can't really dance. So trying to dance and sing at the same time, listen, if it was a reality show, we would have just season rated, really high ratings. But uh, at the end of the audition, Simon threw us for a loop and he says, you know what? I didn't really like the track. Let me hear y'all sing it acapella. And we just kind of looked at each other like, you know what? All right, here we go. One, two, three, and sang it, and we got a standing ovation, man. And it was a really cool feeling. <laughs> All right, so so what's next? Obviously, the competition. So, uh, um, uh, are you guys moving forward? What's next? So we just were on the live rounds last week, and uh, we finished in the top five, but not in the top two, in order to move on. And uh, so because of it, now we hopefully we need everybody to get behind us because we, there's a wild card spot out there. And for us to continue the journey, we need America to vote for us to continue on in the wild card. So please follow us, man. We would love the support. Um, real, real quick, questions from uh, Robert had to leave. So Nola, I'll start with you. Nola, then Larry, go. Um, so this is such a beautiful story and I'm just sitting here smiling. So in terms <laughs> of, um, <laughs> it's it's such a feel good story. Like the, the other stories have been pretty heavy. So this is a nice, you know, nice, uh, timeline cleanse, so to speak. Um, so what do you want to do with this? Album in the works? Like, you know, deals? <laughs> we we like, talk I'm about that a lot, you know? The, the reason we come together, it really is to just bring joy and laughter. It, it really, it, it shows a completely different side of pro athletes, especially football players, because people think that we're mean and aggressive, but ultimately we are some big kids up there and we perform at different charities. And even during the live round, we said, you know what? Even if America doesn't like us, we're going to entertain ourselves. And hopefully people at home, they'll be snapping their fingers, clapping their hands, tapping their feet, and just smiling the whole time that we're up there. Larry. Yeah, so, you know, first of all, as a you know, big NFL sports fan, I didn't know about the choir. So, you know, thanks for coming on the show and talking about it. The second, my question really relates to current players. What are you hearing from current players that, you know, when they see you guys perform or in terms of, you know, obviously you've been on national television, what are you hearing from, from, from current players? Yeah, you know, a lot of the reaching out and saying, man, way to represent up there. It was really entertaining. Uh, we've actually had some guys, they call us and they, they email and they say, hey, how can I get on? I, I can sing just a little bit. <laughs> so it's really encouraging. But the biggest takeaway is, and we tell guys all the time, it's not about necessarily the singing aspect of it we have created an extension of the locker room. And for a lot of the guys, even though it's both current and former players that are in there, when you're done playing, the biggest void that we have is that camaraderie. And we have actually just developed that. So it's our safe space. It's our place to where we can be transparent with one another. Um, Cause there's a lot of things that we deal with that, you know, the public might not know or see. And man, we, we, we take it from there. So it is very, it, it's, it's a mentally well-being place for us to be, if that even makes sense. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, uh, when is the next next uh, AGT appearance? So we don't know. We won't know. We, we got voted off uh, last week. And uh, hopefully, once these rounds go in about four or five weeks, we'll, we'll learn if we're in the wild card round. So please stay tuned. Follow AGT. And if we get to that level, we need the votes. We need the support. All right, Brian Scott, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much, man. Thanks for having me, man. Happy Wednesday. <laughs> All right, appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
Uh, folks, uh, that is it for us. Uh, tomorrow, I will be speaking here uh, in uh, here in uh, uh, actually Clearwater, uh, Tampa area, if you will. Uh, we'll be addressing uh, the Tampa National Black and Latino Summit. Uh, of course, it is there, uh, is the National Black and Latino Organization Economic Summit, so I'll be speaking. Uh, and we'll be, of course, uh, also uh, live streaming uh, that speech as well. You do not want to miss it. Erica Savage is going to be uh, filling in for me tomorrow because when I'm done, I'm flying to the Bahamas. Uh, for the Grand Goulet Conference. And so uh, Erica will be holding this thing down. So I appreciate everyone being here. Nola, thank you so very much for being uh, being with us. I know we had some technical issues. We fought through those things. We'll blame those West Coast bugs. Uh, Larry, thanks a lot. Robert had to leave early. We appreciate uh, him as well. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, Nola, I know you didn't get to be a little spicy today. Uh, so uh, yeah. Can I say one quick thing? I just want to say one quick thing. Go yes. Saints. That's it. <laughs> I said it. Go Saints. Nah, go Eagles. <laughs> See, we're not about to have this conversation. Go Saints. That's all I need to say. That's it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. We ain't talking football. <laughs> we just talked football. I didn't want to say no, it to the former. No, no, we didn't. No, we talked. We talked the choir. We talked the choir. We talked singing. Mm -hmm. We ain't talk football. Go Saints. That's all. That's it. That's go Saints. You're have done. fun on your trip, Roland. <laughs> You're done. I'm done. Lord have mercy. All right, y'all. Uh, see, that's it. See, uh, she's trying to act. She's trying to get a little extra, like she, like she got some spicy gumbo. All right, y'all. That's it for us. Uh, I appreciate everybody for watching, for joining us. Uh, thank you so very much. And don't forget, folks. Uh, download the Black Star Network app. Uh, we need to hit 50,000 downloads. Let's get it going, y'all. Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV. Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. And of course, uh, we're also trying to get 2,000 of our fan base to contribute at least 50 bucks uh, for the year uh, in this month to raise $100,000. We're behind in our giving from last year. Your dollars make it possible for us to be able to launch new shows, to cover different news. Uh, again, you've got this show, Faraji's Daily Show. You've got weekly shows uh, from Deborah and Jackie and, and uh, Stephanie and Greg. And by the way, every two weeks, rolling with Roland. Great interview with Michael Ely. I want y'all to definitely check that out. Man, lots of stuff going on, folks. We want y'all to support us in what we do. Uh, so check in money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 2003-7-0196. Cash app is down sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal is RM Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Don't forget, pre-order your copy of White Fear. It is out now. White Fear is out now. Pre-order your copy. We dropped September 13th. I would love for us to debut uh, with about 25,000 copies of that book sold. Uh, and of course, I'll be traveling around the country talking about it. And you can get it uh, from Ben Bella Book. All these websites, Ben Bella Books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Indie Bound, Bookshop, Chapters, uh, Books A Million, Target. Of course, uh, of course, if you're in Canada, you can get the book there as well. You can order the book online. White Fear, How the Brown of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. It's basically the sort of the Republican Party. You don't want to miss it. I'll see, I'll see you guys later. Y'all take care. Hop!
From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 